Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 20. After a frantic MotoGP race in Aragon, it was Ducati's Peko Van Nair who took his maiden win after fending off Marc Marquez in an intense battle over the last few laps. Marquez, for all his might, tried and tried again to get past Van Nair, but ultimately failed to do so. It wasn't a great day at the office, though, for championship leader Fabio Quartararo. How often do we say that, actually? Not very often at all, who fell back through the order right from the very start. The KTMs enjoyed an upturn in pace uh, at one point, with Brad Binder and Ike Lequona enjoying the track conditions in the middle stage of the race, both getting past a fledgling Quartararo. Alicia Spargro put on another strong display in the Aprilia, just missing the podium in fourth, uh, and a, a great run for an Air Bastianini 2 in sixth come the chequered flag maverick vinales first race on the aprilia saw him come home in 18th place and we lost alex marquez and jake dixon early on lots to dissect as ever we'll also take a look at moto 2 and moto 3 keith hewin first up welcome back to the podcast um what a race for moto gp that end those last few laps between marquez and and uh and peko Bagnaia, your favorite what a way for Pagnaia to take his first win in MotoGP. He's a delightful guy, Peko. There's no doubt about it. And it was an impeccable oh, performance. Nice. <laughs> Terrible. It really was. I mean, it was a fantastic performance. I mean, the, the guy, he, we know he's fast. We know he's capable. Uh, but, the, but the way he did it was just fantastic. I mean, the thing for me was the Ducati was carrying good corner speed. It was working really good for him. It was, okay, it's a little bit faster than Honda, but not a lot. I mean, you got... Marquez all over you like a bloody mucky raincoat. It, it's one of them situations where he held his nerve. He looked more like Davizioso than Davizioso. I mean, the amount of times they swapped places on the last two laps was just absolutely remarkable. Uh, I mean, Mark Marquez isn't quite himself still. There is no doubt about that. But anybody in any doubt about how much he wanted to win that race, oh, blimey. Uh, Peko had to be bang on it everywhere. And he was brilliant. He kept his... He kept his nerve, he kept his line, he kept cool. Did you see the sheep, Pete? And I know you will have done because you're you're one of those type of people that uh, is bound to have gone through the after-race sheets, as I have as well. The time, every lap, it was 48.5, 48.5, 48.8, 48.9, 48.5, all the way down the sheet, where it counted. I've never seen such consistency. Uh, and in a battle royal like that with Marquez closing him down, Bastianini, you mentioned Bastianini and your build-up there, Harry, an absolutely brilliant ride from him as well. Um, disappointing Rins in qualifying winner last time here, obviously, and it fell apart for him. Don't understand it. Mia, despite the fact he was on the podium, 
still looked pretty devastated in in pit lane in uh, Park Ferme. Not running the whole shot device, three kilos worth of uh, wasted effort by the sound of that at the moment. They haven't quite got that where they want it. Um, so he decided not to run it again. Um, tires were going to be an issue again with track temperature right up there, 47 degrees or something. It was, I think when they kicked off, um, that was going to be an issue. Everybody ran that soft tire, everyone except Zarco. Where was Joanne Zarco? Nowhere to be seen. Uh, he ran a medium in the back of his. Otherwise everyone ran exactly the same tires throughout the entire field. Pretty rare. You see that as well, but Aragon gave us what we'd expect from Aragon. It's a brilliant racetrack in a brilliant place. And it's the one that never seems to get the accolades i don't think that that it really really should as a track i mean i I tried to build it up a bit last week when we did this podcast but um it's one of those tracks it was only 13 and a half thousand people trackside you imagine you got all that area to yourself if you'd made the effort to go down there and watch a race like that um great great weekend great great meeting off the back of a fantastic weekend anyway raducanu is all I can say. <laughs> for the non-Brit listeners, uh, that might not go down so well. But for us, I think we all stayed up late to watch the US Open. Absolutely, it has hey, been. Hey, Radicana has got a lot of bases covered. She's got the Chinese base covered. She's got the Romanian base covered. And she's got the Brit base covered. So the thing I love about sport is it's not about flag waving and all the rest of it. It's just about a brilliant performance. And she was absolutely outstanding um, in any nationalities uh, sense of the word. To come through as a qualifier... I don't know about um, about you guys, but Channel 4, actually, you know, when Prime had got that, and this is my thing about, about motorbike racing, I think the likes of Prime, Netflix, and all the rest of it, I'm heading off in that tangent, as I always do, Harry, so bring me back in. Yeah, no, I, yeah. um, but I, I've always said that, that, that it's going to be the Netflix of this world. It's going to be the Prime video of this world that are going to take over some of the sports like motorbikes in the future is how I see it. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be doshing it out if they feel like for free, like they did with Channel 4 over the weekend, so that we did get those those people that haven't got Prime. I'm lucky enough to have it. But anybody that doesn't have Prime could have watched it on Channel 4. Otherwise, we'd have missed a massive piece of sporting mm. history. And that is wrong. Uh, and that's where, you know, top sports ought to be able to negotiate those kind of free-to-air deals every now and again, like Dorna do. You know, they put out Silverstone for free. It went out on ITV for free. Um, so MotoGP also recognised the fact that certain cornerstones to sport should be out there for fans to see for Absolutely. Free. And I was one of those 9 million plus viewers that Channel 4 got, which is incredible. Imagine, I think uh, MotoGP and Motorsport would be absolutely uh, throffing from the mouth of if we could get those numbers. But with Amazon Prime, of course, uh, making this uh, new d- Drive to Survive style documentary for MotoGP, well, who knows how uh, that could pan out and bring a whole new audience to MotoGP, which is really exciting. Uh, but uh, let's get back to the race in action. That's the first tangent of the day. Uh, good stuff. We're only a few minutes in. Uh, Pete McLaren, um, Mark Marquez. We've had a few questions coming on him as well, really giving it some, especially in those final few laps to try and take the win. And you know, he he's been saying throughout the weekend, you know, especially in the warm up, I think he didn't he didn't go out for the first five minutes because he's not wanting to waste too much energy. He's still working within himself each weekend, and he's still got these problems. But a ride like that certainly proof that are we getting ever closer to the old Marquez or is this as good as it's ever going to get? The old Marquez is obviously still there, isn't he? You know, and, he, and he's able to break out at certain tracks, Saxon ring, obviously being the, the prime example this year. Now, obviously Aragon was this other anti-clockwise track 
So he, he likes anti-clockwise tracks anyway, but then with this shoulder injury on the right-hand side, it's really sort of exaggerated the difference in his performance at, the, at these kind of circuits. So he said, you know, the shoulder's acceptable, but clearly it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not, it's holding him back still. Um, but on the other hand, if you look at the Honda, you look at the, as he said, look at the performance of, of Alex. You know, his brother was on the podium at Aragon last year. Taka was on pole position. You know, those guys were nowhere near that pace this year. So there's obviously, it's a, it's a two-part thing. It's Mark and the bike. They both need to improve. He, he spoke about this week, he's had three chassis in the last four races, you know, so they're trying so many different parts to, to improve their situation. Um, as we've seen, some tracks Mark can make the difference, some tracks he can't. This was a track where he could make the difference. The, the di- difference in terms of Saxon ring was it's got long straights. So Pekka Banyaya, as Keith said, his, his consistency was unbelievable during the race. I mean, Mark, there weren't really passing opportunities. You know, Mark tried to create something, didn't he? There was no mistake by Pekko. It's not like there was, you know, Pekko left the door open and Mark sort of, oh, thank you very much. You know, Mark was just working and working and working and trying to rattle him probably, but completely cleanly. There was no contact, unlike in the F1 race, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was all completely clean and, you know, Fair play to Pecco for keeping calm when you've got Mark Marquez launching his Honda past you seven times in the last three laps. You know, it was exceptionally cool and, and great timing. You know, we're coming up. It's Mizano next next weekend, which is, you know, one year ago, Pecco threw away that, that you know, he had one hand on the win, didn't he, Keith? And, it, and, and it, was it a tear off? Who knows? But either way, he was leading comfortably and down he went. He then fell from the lead in Mugello as well this year. So if he'd have gone back to Mizano with all of that pressure, Ducati's home race, not having won when you've got Jorge Martin, a rookie who's won for Ducati already this year, Jack has won for Ducati already this year, I think it all would have just been building. And, uh, you know, as Valentino Rossi said um, this evening, he said, you know, it was the moment to win. You know, Pecos had the speed for the past few races and it was the moment to kind of put it all together and make it happen. Rossi was also quite funny. He said he'd been trying to hypnotise Pecco because he said sometimes he makes some strange tyre choices. So all this weekend he's been going hard, soft, meaning hard front, soft rear, which as Keith has said, everyone went for that. You know, if you didn't go for that and Zarco was the only guy that didn't, you know, you could have been in big trouble. So Rossi said even after warm-up this morning, he said to him again, hard, soft, you know, (laughs) don't go for anything other than that. And, uh, you know, Rossi was extremely proud. He's the second VR46 Academy rider to win in MotoGP after Morbidelli. So it's a, it's a, it's a big moment for them as well. And uh, as, as Keith says, you know, Pekka Banyai is a really, really nice, likable guy, down to earth, very softly spoken and, uh, you know, great moment for him and Ducati. Absolutely. Well, let's move down, though, to our third place man as well. Uh, Keith, you touched on uh, the Suzuki riders. Not happy at all, really. I think I've think i seen tweets from both Joanne Mir and Alex Rins uh, following uh, the race in the last couple of hours. Even, you know, Mir not happy with the third place either, thinking, you know, he wanted more from this. What happened to Suzuki this week? And especially Rins, who might I add, we all had in our podium lineups. So it's a great... It's the great thing about MotoGP. doesn't matter what you think you know. You know nothing, in actual fact. <laughs> doesn't matter who you are. I mean, I listen to a lot of pundits worrying, worrying that we might have chosen a, a little bit too randomly. But uh, when you listen to all the, the so-called telepundits and all the rest of it around the world, they'd all gone for pretty much similar to what we'd gone. Expecting Quattararo to be able to step up. It's not a track he likes, but he was still fast around it. Um, Yamaha, of course, is a lot down on horsepower. Really, it's one of those situations where... He just couldn't make that work. I mean, he was the first Yamaha in eighth place when you consider that we got, you know, 
four different manufacturers in the first four places. Aprilia, of course, Alessia Spargro again was right there with the Aprilia. Um, Maverick Vinales out on the Aprilia, looking like he was having a good ride as well. Can't remember. I'll have to look at my sheet. Did he actually beat um, Valentino in the end, he or did. he did beat Valentino? Valentino finished. Well, he just finished in front of his brother, didn't he? So Valentino was last for a long time, and then he just managed to get hold of uh, Marini. Which, um, I mean, I don't know. Yamaha really are in trouble at the moment. It was very interesting to to hear Jorge Lorenzo talking. Um, he was talking to everybody this weekend. He was Mr. Relax. He's got a bit more bark on him now. He looks a little bit more, a little bit chubbier, perhaps, just like a relaxed man should do, not trying to get down to the last you know, ounce of or gram in your case, because you guys are much younger than me, but I still work in ounces. Um, so he, he's down to his last. He, he's looking really well, Jorge. And when he spoke, he spoke to everybody this weekend, the most chilled out man in the paddock. And he said, yeah, I miss certain aspects of my life. Of course I do. I miss the winning. I miss the, the team. I miss, you know, the, the, the intensity of it all. And then again, he said, I like standing here knowing I've got no stress. I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to get hurt. I've not got any of those things to, that, are, that, that worry me through my career. Um, and I absolutely understand what he's talking about. I mean, it's a, the absolute second by second dedication to go fast. And that's what it takes to be in that position. Um, and, and Jorge has become quite eloquent as well over that side of things. He's, he's been able to relay that to you in a way that anybody can understand how much he had to put in to be a five times world champion. He still likes to tell you he's been a five times world champion <laughs> about every other sentence, which amuses the hell out of everybody. But he has been a five times world champion and a bloody good one in a hard time as well. Um, so again, looking at the Yamaha side of things, he touched on what's going on there. I think everybody's looking forward to, to 2022, really. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, they're just about hanging on there with that inline across the frame bike. Um, the big, was he going to get on with the V4 situation from Maverick Vinales? I think he did get on with it really well. There were certain areas of, of riding aspect that he didn't make work for him. You know, it, strangely enough, it was the, the last sector here, which is mostly a straight, apart from that sort of wonderful double apex left-hander off the end of it. But, he was losing loads of time through technique in a couple of places. Mate, he's going to get that. It's going to come to him really, really quick. He's a great rider, Maverick Vinales. So I think it was a, it was a, it was a pretty fair opener for him. Um, anybody who asks why is he riding it this year, you know, why doesn't he do loads of t- – this is great. You know, race testing is the best kind of testing. Get out there and ride the thing in the last part of the year. Brilliant. I think just to, just to fill in on a few more things that – Fabio, by the sound of it, he had a, a rear tyre problem. So th- w- this is, again, it sounds like similar to Mia, certainly Banyaya at Silverstone. Banyaya said at the start of this weekend that, that Michelin had kind of said that, that confirmed that there was some sort of performance issue with his rear tyre. So we've been hearing this, haven't we, quite a lot this year, of people using the same tyres and not getting the performance from them. And, and that's what Fabio said. Um, was the case for his race. He said he'd, he'd used the tyre with 26 laps in warm-up. The race is 23 laps, and he felt great. And but he said right from the start, he just didn't have the same performance. Um, so he didn't want to put it all down to the tyre. He's being very careful, very diplomatic, but he did make clear that the rear tyre didn't feel as it had done all of the weekend up to the race. Funny that you should say that, though, because there were a lot of people that were on the floor this weekend. Um, and, you, you know, Aragon is one of them places that changes from day to day. You know, the opening, the opener of the day, it was completely covered in fog, which you get at Aragon. You know, the difference in ground temperature compared with the air temperature that's coming in, massive amount of fog. 
and you get that quite often at Aragon. Now that makes a, that makes a difference. The track temp, even when the sun's coming up and it's getting to 25, 30 degrees or whatever it might be, an ambient temperature, the ground temperature is still coming up. Um, it looked greasy in places. It didn't look like as as grippy. It's not a high grip track anyway, um, and it looked it looked quite greasy. And the amount of crashes that we've had over the course of this weekend. I mean, you know, Moto Two. How many did we have? Eleven down in Moto Two. You know, it's uh, there were a lot of people that were going through, you know, across the gravel traps this weekend. It's a, it's a. I think it's quite one of the oldest asphalts. I think it's eleven years. Someone said it's been around, and you know, quite harsh weather conditions there. And the fact that everyone went with the soft rear tire tells you that they're all searching for grip, even though it was a lot hotter than than last year. So, so yeah, absolutely, the grip levels were definitely low. Now, I want to talk about Ika Laquona very briefly because I really like the guy. I, out of all the riders, I've just found a little bit of, a, of an attachment to to Laquona, and I feel really bad for him because you know, youngest rider in the field 21 years old hasn't had the longest of careers since he first started riding on bikes and he was looking really good this afternoon or as we record this on sunday afternoon in aragon uh you know looking up for a top eight position and then he you know made a mistake ran wide lost a few positions couldn't quite recover him yes he made the mistake but the fact that he's putting in some good performances at the moment at as of right now, he doesn't have a ride for next year when others, perhaps, you know, you look at Darren Binder, even uh, Jake Dixon are being considered more than he is. After today and also the last couple of rounds, I find that difficult to comprehend that Laquona is not also being considered and finds himself having to look at, at World Superbikes or, or, or somewhere else. Sometimes these things happen. It's a bit of an anomaly sometimes that management haven't really got it, got him in line, got the chess pieces all moving around in the paddock quite as neatly as they would like to do. And I think Ike Laquona, like you say, 21 years old, you need, I know it's his, it's his second year now, isn't it? You need three years, in my view, really coming through in this situation. You need that nurturing over a period of time. And it's going to be a shame to see him shoved out the back of the paddock when he is riding really, really well. And maybe he just needed that little bit more time to get to where he needed to get to. And that can be a communication situation with the team. He's not quite, you know, got it all in line back in the team. Perhaps they're working their way through his little nuances that he wants on the bike or how he wants the bike to be. And they're working towards that. But it's happened before. And you mentioned Jake Dixon, you know, poor old Jake. He's crashed out, what, you know, three minutes in. Uh, it's, it's a disaster really, because he needed to show another good performance. I mean, he, you know, the old balance has been going, Darren Binder, Jake Dixon, Darren Binder for this Patronus ride. Um, you know, and I thought Jake had just about grabbed the initiative on that one after his Silverstone ride. But now there wasn't sort of, the, the, he didn't underline it in Aragon like he would have really wanted to have nailed it down. And I think now, you know, Binder, perhaps perhaps they're level pegging again. And it's going to be a, a, an argument behind the scenes. And it's almost going to be an opinion rather than an actual fact-based type um, decision, perhaps. We'll see. Yeah, I think Ike, it, it sounds like I, I did ask him this, this evening as he made a decision on his future and he knows where he's going next year. And as you say, it sounds very much like it'll be World Superbike with Honda. Now, the, the good, uh, he said he's not allowed to say yet, but that's what will come out, I think, in the next week or so. Um, I guess from from his career point of view, the good news for him is that there's probably something in the contract whereby if he does a really good job for Honda in Superbike, there could be a path back to MotoGP in future. Um, but as you say, it will be, it is a shame to lose a rider that's so young from the paddock. You know, on the other hand, 
two years on the bike and you've got as we've said you've got this this talent coming up with KTM they need to put them if they don't put them on the bike they lose them so you know they had to lose somebody and and sadly they've, they've taken the decision that they want to go with Remy and Raul and even if that means letting both Lacona and Pachucci, who sounds like he's going to the Dakar, let them go. Dakar. That sounds more like a penance than an actual <laughs> career move. I've got to say, the, the Dakar would just be, you know, like, it would be my worst nightmare. I don't know about anything else. I mean, maybe in one of them dirty great big trucks, a service vehicle or something, that'd be quite good fun. But I'm not sure I'd want to do it in a car or, or absolutely not on a motorcycle. I mean, the... the the opportunity for disaster is just too too great for me. I mean, but he seems quite, quite. I don't know whether resolved. I think is probably the word I'd look at, rather than, and, and you know, he seems reasonably enthusiastic for a new challenge. But a challenge like that, massive. All you can do is wish him well and injury free. Absolutely. Well, uh, they are both departing uh, KTM Tech Three. Uh, team at the end of the season but uh, a strong run there from Laquona almost finished uh, 11th in the end and uh, Petrucci down in 15th and we also did briefly touch as well on uh, Anaya Bastianini let's talk about him a little bit more sixth place I think I'm right in saying that is his best result so far in MotoGP so a really good run uh, for the Italian on the Ducati and he looked real good on it, didn't he? I mean, I have to say, the oldest bike out there, and he looked very, very good on it. Um, you know, he was putting manoeuvres in, you know, in places that you wouldn't have expected him to. He was getting growing in stature as every lap went by. So very impressive, Anaya Bastianini. Um, can't wait to see how he progresses when we get to Mizano. You know, we got a bit of a left-hand track this time. We've got a right-hand track coming up with a couple of scary corners in it for Mizano. So, and another track that can be either slippy or... Or, or whatever it feels like, depending on the day. So we'll wait and see what kind of Mizano we've got when we get there. But it's going to be an exciting race weekend. And like you've already said, Pekka Van Nair, race winner this week, got that monkey off his back. Um, now ooh, it's going to be a hell of a Mizano. I can't wait. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's uh, just bring you up to speed on how the championship points lie as well at the end of uh, Aragon. Fabio Quartararo, 214 points now ahead of Peko Bagnaia, who's got up to second. 53-point lead for Quartararo currently. Mir in third with 157. Zarco, 137, down to fourth, just in front of Jack Miller. And actually, it's probably worth touching just before we do move on to Moto2, because we will swing back around as ever to MotoGP once we've done it. But uh, Touching on the other Ducati riders, uh, particularly, you know, Miller looked like he was in for a podium, but again, a mistake cost him that. And then uh, on the Pramac Ducati, Zarco, what happened? Well, perhaps a medium rear tyre, Pete. What do you think? But it is, it, <laughs> it's, it's, the only it's been a downhill it. spiral ever since the, the summer break, really. Well, you know, I tell you the one thing you don't do, you don't look across the paddock and, and every other team and think, I'm the one that's right. One medium tire on the entire grid, you know, like, and and every other rider had a soft rear in. Just, and he's a guy who can make a soft work normally, if I remember rightly. Zarco has has, has got a gentle touch with with tires, and you know, it was even more surprising that he decided that the medium was the way to go. But it was one of those um, shot in the darks, I think. Really, he obviously wasn't going as well as he was hoping he'd go, so he decided that uh, maybe there was something late race that the medium might um, give him, but it didn't. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he said himself, he's still searching for exactly as you say, the feeling he had with the bike at the start of the year. It's, it sort of seems to have left him somehow, and he's not able to get it back. And yeah, it was it was the front he went for, the medium, as you say. Which, the, I mean, he's a very smooth rider, so maybe he could have made it work. But yeah, I mean, the results, it's it's not there at the moment. Martin, on the other side, he actually struggled a bit as well physically. You know, he's had these injuries earlier in the year, and Aragon is a. It's a, it's a tough track, you know. It's a very challenging track, as Keith was saying. And he actually, he actually found that physically he was he was sort of hurting a bit. But you've got to expect that he'll be back up there and uh, looking to impress him from the Ducati bosses. Um, you know, his heroics, of course, have kind of overshadowed Bastianini's season. As Keith was rightly praising him, you know, if 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 Martin hadn't been winning races as a, as a rookie and on pole position, Bastianini would be getting a lot more attention and credit. But he certainly deserves it. They, you know, Bastianini came to the fore this weekend, and you know what. From what I from what I've been told, he, he's seen as being very important to the future of Ducati. That's what I was told earlier in this year when it, when it wasn't clear where he would be next year. That you know he will be on a Ducati. Don't worry, he's seen as, as someone that they they've already seen enough to know he's going to be well following the line of maybe Pecco as the next Italian star. So yeah, he looks like he's got a great future ahead. Mm, well, a, a great result as ever for Bastianini in P6 at the end. Uh, it was action, certainly, up and down MotoGP, up and down the classes as well. Let's turn our attention to Moto2. It was Ralph Fernandez who fought through injury to collect his fifth win of the season in Moto2, despite you know the obvious pain he's been carrying throughout the weekend. He managed to uh, overcome pole man Sam Lowe's and championship leader Remy Gardner to take the win. Not so good a day for Sam Lowe's, who was managing the pace early on it seemed but the pressure from Fernandez proved a little bit too much and that put pay to his chances Keith what did you make of the Moto2 action sadly Sam did what Sam does you know Alex his brother was on site as well and and trying to keep him calm and it looked like he not settled for second place he was beginning to reapply the pressure to Raul Fernandez out front Fernandez had got immense early pace and you know, we wondered whether he'd run out of fitness, you know, right hand injury, you know, an operation last week, uh, fifth, is it fourth metatarsal or something? Is that the one in your hand? I can't remember. Is it a metacarpal, metatarsal, one of them bones anyway, but it's one in his right hand. Right hand, you do quite a bit with your right hand on a motorbike. It's quite a handy thing. And uh, to have that kind of pain going through him, and we're in a no, no needles policy nowadays as well. So it's not... You can't have injections and all the rest of it now. It's it's a couple of paracetamol or whatever it might be that the doctor says. Um, so you're in a situation where you know pain relief is 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 different to how it used to be as well, uh, or what was allowed before. So he did brilliantly, brilliantly well. But Sam's demise was all Sam's demise. It had nothing to do with anybody else. It was he had a big enough gap in front of him, but was pushing. He was a tenth or two up on the last few laps before he he went down. Easy place to make that kind of mistake that Sam made but just he makes it just that little bit too often and that it's critical really um you know you feel for him you know he keeps on he looks just brilliantly he was brilliant in qualifying pole position got a great start which is something that he doesn't always do looked like he was you know going to be able to put it out there at his pace for a few laps just while it all settled down behind him Rael Fernandez just started to really power into it um, and again, looked consistent on lap times. Fernandez had got the thing nailed down really, really hard. But Sam, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know where he'll be at this moment in time in his head. You know, it, 
I always think that when when we get an interview with Sam and we see him just before a race, he speaks too fast for someone who's calm. And it kind of worries me that he's he's just so hyper. He's so – the adrenaline's pumping like mad. But he'd gone through all that, that difficult part of the race for me, and then it slides out from under him. Just a disaster. And it's going to affect his head. There's no doubt about it. Well, he uh, slid out from a, a chance of a podium. It was Ralph Fernandez who took the win ahead of Remy Gardner and Augusto Fernandez at the final uh, podium placer, P. And what was quite a, a fierce battle, really, between him and uh, and Jorge Navarro. But uh, he found his way past him on the penultimate lap in the end. Uh, perhaps, you know, a lot of results helped by the 11 retirements as well. But uh, a great battle for third. It was, yes. And, and this came after Augusto Fernandez was announced this weekend as moving to the IO team next year. So he's going to be going across and, and we'll be looking to join that, that ladder heading, you know, KTM wise to, to MotoGP. So a good time to sort of impress his future team, I guess, as well. Um, and, and yeah, by being, you know, behind, um, uh, the AO guys on Sunday and I thought Gardner did a very mature ride in second speaking of, of that you know it's not a great track for him it, it might have been easy to maybe think you know my teammate's injured what you know I should be beating him uh, and maybe just you know push a bit too hard but he didn't you know he, he took the safe option he took the, the 20 points and he, he keeps this healthy I think it's 39 point lead isn't it um, we, we know now, as you're saying about the calendar, we, we only have five rounds left now. Argentina's gone, so it, it won't be replaced. So it's five rounds left, 39-point leads, and he can, you know, it, it's big enough for him to manage. And I think that was that was a really mature ride by, by Remy as well. Mm. Talking of mature, I thought John McPhee, I mean, first motor two race, John McPhee looked really good on that bike through free practice and qualifying, bearing in mind that, that's nowhere near enough time to get used to a motorbike of any kind. If you rode a road bike, it wouldn't wouldn't be enough time to get used to it. I mean, all the everything's in a different place. Everything performs in a different way. It was a remarkable ride from John McPhee. Okay, he got a 20th. There was only one bloke behind him in the end. And like you've already quite rightly alluded to, there were 11 people that already went out of this race. So McPhee's 20th seems on paper perhaps slightly better than it might have done. But it was a good ride from him. And he looked good on the bike. And he did what he had to do. If he'd thrown it through the fence, you know, trying too hard, then McPhee's ride wouldn't look good to other, you know, to other teams that are looking in. And maybe, maybe they will just look and think, do you know what? He rode that bike okay through free practice. He rode that bike okay through qualifying. He looked good in the race. You know, he finished the race. If you look at, what was he, 40, 47 seconds down in a 21 lap race at the end of it. So, off of Rail Fernandez's blistering times, he was a couple of seconds a lap off of that, you know, in traffic, getting used to a motorbike. I think McPhee did a really, really good job, personally. I, I think that um, that uh, hopefully the paddock always knows. You can't lie in the paddock. You can lie to everyone on Twitter on, and Facebook and all the other places. You can, you can pull the wool over. You can have a PR man that's putting all the right spiel out there and all the rest of it and fool a few of the public, perhaps, by some swift PR, but you can't fool those beggars in the paddock. They know everything. They see everything. They, you know, they know exactly what's going on, and they will have seen a good ride from John McPhee. You know, teams that are considering, you know, where the hiring and firing is going on in the next little while, they'll have seen McPhee do a very mature job this weekend. And he's still only what twenty-seven. You know, so he's he's not over and done with yet. He'd make a good Moto Two rider. 
He's light as well, which, you know, if you, if you can ride a motor two bike and you're a few pounds lighter than the average, you've immediately got an advantage there too. He's a thinker. He's a, mo- he's a Grand Prix winner. You know, McPhee's not over and done yet. I, I'd be really, I, I'm happy with what he's done and I would love to see him ride a bit more during the course of the year. I don't think we're going to get that chance, unfortunately, but um, I think he rode really, really well. Could have happened just in the nick yeah. of time. Pete, yeah, have you heard much about McPhee or from McPhee? I was just going to say, yeah, it's a similar thing. I think from what John was saying, that, that he had some a few moments on the full fuel tank and, and he just sort of thought, right, let's just calm this down, you know, and, and then he, so he dropped back, but then he sort of regrouped and came through. Um, as Keith says, you know, it would have been easy to sort of, let it all get to you and you know the guys are going by me but he didn't you know regrouped stuck he overtook a few riders you know and he was having a good battle with i think it was zavi card loose at the end you know he's an established motor two rider and just beat him to the line so he, he was in a fight he, he did as Keith said he, he's a bit like jacob silverstone he's he's now put himself a lot better off as far as next year after this weekend than he was before it and i think just on just on jake forgot to mention but it sounds like what happened with him he he ran off track rejoined and his front tire was too cold. You know, the temperature had dropped, and so he he then fell. I think about five corners later on the second lap, just got caught out by the having you know run off track. The temperature had gone hard front tire, and that was down he went. So it just just one of those things, and uh, yeah, unfortunate because as Keith says, you know, it would have been great to build on his performance. He did he did chip away, got a bit closer to the to the you know the. The top, if you like, he reduced the gap, and with a big, long straight at Aragon, you could chop a few tenths off just for the, the top speed of that Yamaha. But yeah, unfortunately, he didn't put the race distance together, but John McPhee did. And you know, it's not easy also knowing that the team's going to be disbanded. You know, a lot of people are working there, and the riders are there, not knowing about their future. You know, Jake, Jake, and John are the obvious guys, but everyone in that team must surely be thinking, what's going to happen? There's some talk that maybe the you know the team might be taken over by someone else, or, or might continue you know, under another name, you know, someone might come in, but, but who knows, you know, at the moment it's all up in the air. And so you're trying to, you're trying to you know, produce and, you know, your best performances and learn this new bike with all of this other stuff going on. So a difficult situation. And I absolutely agree with Keith. I think McVie's done a really solid job. Somebody knows what's going on and they know absolutely what's going on. You can be absolutely sure of that. There'll be teams that know what's happening Who's filling that void? You know, Mike Trimbia Erta, International Race Teams Association, will have names, teams. There'll be a long line going to his office at Erta at each of the tracks. So um, they'll know what's going on and what the replacements are going to be. And we'll find out in the next few weeks, I'm sure, and um, bring it here on Crash, that's for certain. Um, but it's what McPhee has done is he's added an extra string to his bow. He was a Motor 3 rider, a race winner, but would you speculate on him going into Moto2 and being successful? Probably not. You know, it's a situation where you think to yourself, he's, he's, you know, sometimes he has great rides, sometimes he has so-so rides. You know, would we risk, you know, bringing him, in, him into a Moto2 uh, team? I think after what we saw this weekend, as just a, a starting point, I think, yes, you would. You'd certainly test him. You'd certainly look at where you can go from here. He's got a good brain, John McPhee. You know, the... Moto2 is closer to MotoGP than it is to Moto3. So it's a big leap that he's done to go from Moto3 to Moto2 in a one-off ride at a racetrack. No testing, no ride it down the road, nothing. Just jump straight on it. Most people have had two or three days of intensive testing, um, plus early early doors 
you know, runs here, there and everywhere. They know exactly what's going on with the bike. They've got everything in position. People have got on that bike on free practice one and thought the handlebars, you know, they need cut the mill this way. You know, I don't quite like, like where my levers are. Where's them buttons again? What are they, you know? He'll have been working through all of that in the first couple of free practices. And, of course, free practice is actually qualifying for qualifying, as we know nowadays. You know, every single session, every single lap you do on a motorbike at a Grand Prix means something, <laughs> quite a lot, in fact. Free practice is a qualifying session to be in the best qualifying session. So I think McPhee did really, really well. Am I blowing it up a bit too much? I, I, we'll get, I we'll get some comments, that's for sure. But uh, smiles all around, I think, though, for, for John McPhee after the, an admirable performance there in 20th, uh, making his debut in MotoGP. But here's how the points look, though, at the top of the time, top of the table. Remy Gardner, with that second place finish, now has 251 points. It is a 39-point lead over Ralph Fernandez with 212. Marco Bezecchi still in third, 179. Sam Lowe's fourth, 127. And Augusto Fernandez now with 108 behind Lowe's in the standings. Let's uh, focus now, if I may be so bold, on Moto3. It was Dennis Fodger who uh, fought his way through to the front to take the win ahead of Dennis Onku and uh, Ayumi Sazaki, a fight battle for victory uh, until Fodger shut the door firmly and uh, headed to the checkered flag for the win really Keith wasn't it so uh, Moto3 once again providing some Moto3 action <laughs> typical Moto3 action yeah as it never ever a dull moment in Moto3 that is for certain yeah, what was remarkable for me was that the KTMs looked like they had all the speed in Austria fast racetrack and the like and yet here, the Honda looked head and shoulders above the KTM in a straight line in the way of Fodger. Glad you said that he fought his way through because he did. I mean, he was, what, 12th you know, at the early lap and 10th place and then slowly but surely working his way through. You know, his, Artigas, his bloody teammate, got taken out by Pedro Acosta, the, the championship leader in a ridiculous – Pedro Acosta, could he have hit anything else out there? I mean, he took the paint off everything that I could see. I mean, Acosta, I know he's young, but blimey, he was in a, a, the weirdest of moods. I mean, all the accuracy and all the, you know, he's tenacious and he's hard. We've seen that. But he was just that, that tiny degree off in every move he made. Every move he made, instead of it being a pass, and we were all going, wow, did you see how he did that? It was, oh, why did he do that? It was just, honestly, he rubbed so many people up the wrong way. And in the end, he really did. Artigas, you know, teammate to Foggia, was nailed to the to the floor, took him out massively. And he's hurt. I mean, we're going, we've only got a weekend, a week off, really. We're, we're straight out next weekend. So Artigas, you know, with those last, what, five races to go, is, is going to be doing them injured, effectively, because they're coming thick and fast. Um, but then, poor old Garcia, you have got a feel for him. I mean, he, he obviously didn't know where Acosta was, you would think, I'm fairly, you know, maybe I had a coster out. But if if you look at that pit boards down that pit lane, when you're rushing past there, even on a Moto3 bike, you're doing 120 mile an hour. You're coming up over a crest. So you can't see anything coming out the last corner. Can't see anything come up over a crest. Then all of a sudden you're concentrating on, on your braking point coming up the turn one. You're on the right-hand side of the track away from the pit wall. You're not near the pit wall. It's quite a wide bit of track. And there's a hundred, well, there's not a hundred, obviously, because there's not a hundred bikes out there now by the time we got to this <laughs> yeah. point. But there's, you know, 20 odd bikes, uh, 20 odd boards that are all hanging over the wall. It's a, it's an absolute cluster of, of written word all the way down the side. There's no ship to shore to, to have warned him what was going on because that's obviously not allowed. So the fact was that if he missed his board and didn't see that Acosta was out, 
um, he was still trying to maximise his points. And then again, it was one of those crashes that just washed out the front end from under him. Sam Lowe's-esque and so many others this weekend because there are you know corners here that just wipe the front out and down he went. Acosta very much uh, getting sort of let off the hook there. Do you think this was a little bit of a sign of, you know, 16 years old? We think we've been saying how mature he is in his racing up to this point, but is, was this a little, a little drop of uh, that maturity? Not so sure of maturity, but I think a rush of blood to the head. I mean, you know, maybe it's getting to him a little bit. We're getting towards the end of the, the series. You know, he's got five races left. He's, he's, you know, he's going to be world champion if he hangs it together fairly well. Not if he does what he's done this weekend. Not if he's going to get the penalties he gets. Um, you know, if, if there are any retrospectives. I haven't seen the sheets to see if there are any retrospective penalties. Probably he got away with it. I don't know. Otherwise, I think we will have seen something. But um, it's certainly a situation where he's got to calm himself. And that's where his management will do that. And they're good. You know, that they will speak to him and sort him out on that, calm him down before he goes out. He just needs a little bit of a talking to. I think it was I think it was a bit of a blip this weekend for Acosta. Um he wasn't where he wanted to be in the race and was trying to force every single uh, corner to work for him and the bike, and it just didn't. It was he was right on the edge all the way through. We've seen it before with him, and he's got away with it. Um, a bit Marquez-esque, if you like, in the past. I've always thought of Acosta, the way he gets away with some of the manoeuvres he makes. You think, wow, that's tight, but he gets it. Um, this weekend, he didn't. No, he didn't. And someone who did get it, though, up in third, Ayumi Sazaki, who uh, managed to get his first podium of the season, P, able to really kind of pick up the pieces from those around him. Yeah, a, a great race for, for Tectoire, wasn't it? Both two riders on the podium. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, the Tectoire guys, haven't they? Both riders have been sort of so near so far and there's been a lot of near misses for them and bad luck and things like that. And, and Onchu, I mean, he's been so close to winning so many times now, hasn't he? I mean, he, he said he could almost smell the victory <laughs> today. But, but you know, he bought them. Um, it's more podiums. They're, they're building confidence. They're getting better each weekend. And, yeah, as far as Acosta, I mean, yeah, it was it was, it was was a kind of a rookie race, wasn't it, that, that we haven't seen from him. Um, and I think, yeah, he, he perhaps he, he got out of jail free, didn't he, as far as the championship with, with Garcia's mistake. But certainly I think he'll be looking to restore order a little bit at Mizano. Um, it was a home race for him. Was that a factor? I don't know. You know, did that just add a little bit more pressure or something? I would say probably, Pete. I think you've hit it on the head there. It's the kind of racetrack that he's gone round a thousand times, and uh, and it's one of them ones he would have expected to perform at, uh, which turned in, into a. a I, I think you're right. I think that is the the nerve, the nerve end that he was playing with throughout the entire weekend. Well, it... and a thought, and a thought, and a thought for Fanati. Bless him. Being Rodrigo'd. I mean, what is it with Gabri Rodrigo? He has no. There's a, there's a disconnect between his brain and his right hand, because I've never seen a Moto Three guy high side as often as he does. He just he seems to, he seems to have. I think he's got a switch, not a throttle. It's either off or on. <laughs> Once again, he lost the rear end, fired himself. I mean, Fanati, you know, finally he got away with it, but he took Fanati out into the dirt and and ruined his race as well. But Gabri Rodrigo. At the kind of pace that could be right up there podium wise if if he got it worked out. But for some strange reason, once again, Rodrigo's in the thick of it. And the man in frame to jump Moto two and go straight into Moto GP, Darren Binder, only seventh. Yeah, I was surprised at that. I didn't re I haven't really heard what the reasoning 
in his head was for that because he had that kind of pace that I thought was going to put him on the podium at least. You know, and in hard-breaking, there's quite a few places you can make a pass here if you've got his kind of style. There's there's a few places you can ram it up the inside, and if all else fails, you've got that final, you know, double apex, I think they call it turn 16 and 17, but I always only ever think of it as one turn. That final, I love the corner. It's a beautiful corner. And late on in a race when your tyres have gone off and everything, you've got so many lines that you can get through there. I mean, you know, out wide, up tight, whatever you like, whichever way your bike actually suits it. So there's a real opportunity to drag race somebody to the line as well. But I thought it would have been, I thought Binder would have performed better. But I haven't heard, Pete, anything from the track. Have you? I, I think I think he had an issue with, with top speed or with the, the straight line speed of his bike. It, all, it was certainly less than they were expecting and they, they didn't seem to know why and they're, they're certainly going to look into it. But yeah, it means no. still he's had two podiums in Qatar, wasn't it? And I think nothing since. And, you know, we, we talk about, as you say, Harry, going from Moto3 to MotoGP. And of course, you think of Jack Miller having done that. But I mean, Jack fought for the World Championship. Jack was basically, him and Alex Marquez, they were pretty much even. He, Jack could easily have won that year. I mean, it's one thing going up as one of the, you know, the big stars at the very forefront of the class. It's it's another one going up when you've only got two podiums, isn't it? And I think, yeah, I think they'll, um, you know, he needs to finish the year strongly. I mean, Mizano coming up, we're supposed to hear a lot more about this this new team for next year. So maybe when everything's out in the open, it will clear the heads of, of you know, the riders, everyone involved, and, and perhaps there'll be a better end of the year. Well, after Aragon, it is status quo at the top of the uh, standings in Moto3. Pedro Acosta, 201 points, still has that 46-point lead over Sergio Garcia. Dennis Foggia in third with 143. Fanati, 134, back in fourth. And Masia with 111, just behind him. And uh, before we come on to uh, chat about the next Grand Prix in Misano. I think it's worth touching on uh, coming into the weekend as well. We did have confirmation of the rest of the 2021 calendar. So, Pete, we will be getting, well, by the end of this year, we will have had 18 rounds and we're going to finish at Valencia, aren't we? That's right. Yeah. Aren't we? Yeah, we are. Definitely. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. So Argentina, which has been you know postponed since April, isn't it? It's not coming back and... Uh, yeah, so it, there'll be 18 rounds, not not the 19 that was originally proposed. But and there'll be a test at at uh, Jerez, I think, two weeks after. That will, there'll be one postseason test. So at least Keith's brought, brought this up before. If, if you know teams don't even know what their winter development program is, well, at least now they have a better idea. There'll be one official test this year at the end of the season, and then it goes to Sepang at the start of, of 2022. Mm. What I don't understand is how Circuit of the Americas have um, managed to hang on in there with their present COVID rate over in Austin, Texas generally. Um, you know, you're reading all the time. And, and, and I try to cross-reference all this information that's coming across from the States because, you know, quite often Twitter's probably not the best place to get your information. So I tend to try and pick up on the on the decent papers and the decent information. But it seems across the board that they're, you know, ICU places and, and you know, Intensive care beds are in short supply in the whole of Texas. And Austin has been going through a massive amount of, of extra COVID precautions and so on and so forth. And yet we've got this situation where we are definitely going there. Uh, I know there's a few journalists, particularly because they do whinge a lot, journalists, um, that are moaning about perhaps this is you know wrong in as much as 
um, you know, the risk to rider and team and so on and so forth. But I suppose the the counter argument to that is the way that Dorna dealt with Silverstone. Britain at the moment is, you know, everybody knows is is not the world's favourite from a point of um, COVID levels, Brexit, whatever else you want to talk about. Um, we don't seem to be flavour of the um, the month in the world at the minute, one thing and another. And the way that Dorna dealt with their Silverstone situation is they locked down the paddock. There were no passes. There were no opportunities to get into that paddock unless you were associated with a, a named team, whether it be a broadcast team, whether it be – and you had to stay within that group. And it, they kind of front-loaded their quarantine for the Spanish, particularly going home. Obviously, Dorna are Spanish, so they were going home on the Monday – and the way that they did a, it seemed to deal with the Spanish authorities were they locked down Silverstone so that they didn't have to quarantine when they got back to Spain, um, which was quite a clever manoeuvre, really. So I'm wondering whether the way they've got over Cota, the Circuit of the Americas, uh, is by doing a similar thing where it is going to be absolutely locked down. But knowing the way that Texas is and knowing the way the Americans are, it will be absolutely rammed with every man and his dog that has nothing to do with motorcycle racing because they all they all feel like they have a right to be behind the garages, don't they? In, in, it seems to me in America, you always find, you know, what are these guys? Where are these guys all coming from? You know, it's like a kindergarten with kids everywhere and people wandering around behind the garages. So I'm I'm wondering how Dorna have got over the Cota thing and and their COVID protocol. It'll be interesting. It will be. And also, I think even even just for, as you, you mentioned, journalists, media, but freelance people, I think just traveling to America at the moment is not an easy thing. And and I think there's some people that are a little bit apprehensive about whether they've got all of the reams of paperwork that are needed correct, because it's a long way to fly to have to come back again straight away. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people moan about getting into the UK at the moment. It's quite difficult. It's like that all the time when you go to America. <laughs> you know, as soon as you turn up, there's... You know the security and the and the homeland, whatever they are at the at the gate. I mean, God help you if you put one toe over a white line somewhere. You've got some bloke with a gun shouting at you from down the hallway. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> and you get told off for being one toe over the line. Don't ever go to a to a um, passport booth with your mate and stand there with him waiting for the passport to go through, like you do in so many other places. Likely to get dragged out by I your ears. A, I sense a previous bad experience was had, uh, Keith. <laughs> yeah, every year. <laughs> oh, we even got, oh, we got an funny. accent as well. He does impressions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it is good. I think a word as well needs to be said to Dorna for you know for getting eighteen, you know, hopefully eighteen rounds on the calendar. You know, still we're still very much in the midst of this pandemic. It's not gone anywhere either. I think there's a danger of people, you know, trying to carry on like normal, but it is still there. We are still fighting all the uh, the rules and the uh, the regulations that have to be forced around to get these races underway so uh, i think brilliant if we can get 18 races on the calendar as well so uh, nice to see that confirmed and we'll see how it unfolds especially out in america let's move on though shall we to next weekend we're no rest for the wicked actually we're straight into misano so let's have a little preview of that and your insider's guide keith give us the lowdown on all things misano well i mean i don't know whether it's an italia food would be the right thing to say but i love italy generally anyway but because i love the slight chaos and everything that gets organized and finally comes to comes to that wonderful fruition when you get to the point 
But Misano, a lot of history. When you walk down the lanes, get in there, and it's named after famous riders, the Giro Cato Avenue or whatever it is on the way in. I mean, it's fantastic. Marco Simoncelli, obviously, the track's named after Marco Simoncelli. Big, you know, memorial in the in the centre of the roundabout when you get there. It's just one of those places. It feels to me like old school Italy racetrack. You know, like perhaps Imola used to, like Monza used to. It has that, it still has that kind of old school feel of it. Mugello feels a little bit more twenty um, first century, but but I just feel that Misano, the chaos, the parking, the the fields that are filled full of vehicles and 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 barbecues and the like, and and obviously, it's only up the road from Tavulia, which is like Valentino Rossi's, you know, base. So you've got you've got the yellow army that flood over the over the roads and the fields that walk in in the mornings, a six kilometre walk or whatever it is from Tavulia. And so you've got this massive, massive atmosphere. It's not a great racetrack. That, in my view, is a fact. It used to go the other way round. You know, when I raced on it so long ago, yes, it had tarmac still, Harry. So don't take it. <laughs> what? <laughs> it wasn't dirt. It was still it was still tarmac, uh, but it used to go the other way round. Now it's a it's a a, a right hand racetrack as opposed to a left hand racetrack. So uh, turn eleven, which is Cavone, which which was a massively fast. It is a massively fast corner. You now hit that corner, and you're now decreasing speeds through the next three turns. Where in the old days you used to come. Uh, the other way around, and obviously you were increasing all the way up through your speed till you got to Cavoni, where the thing was like sideways and flat in fifth or whatever it would be back in the day. Um, but beside you on your right-hand side back in the day was this sort of 10-foot concrete wall that was about a metre and a half from the edge of the track. Um, so they turned it all the other way because it's, it's on a tiny piece of land, Mizano, the actual racetrack. They turned it the other way, so you got a bit more runoff through some of these corners, and it, and it works very, very well, but it, it's just not – it's not a – Great racetrack. Um, yeah, it's been resurfaced a couple of times. One of the standouts for me is, is Aldo, Aldo Drudy's painting, believe it or not. I've never seen curbs in the side of a racetrack so artistically done. They, I don't know how much money it costs them to spend to do it, but it's worth every penny of it because it looks brilliant. Um, I like Misano as an atmosphere, but not as much as Mugello as a track. It's, 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 not, it's not one of the greatest tracks on the calendars, but as an atmosphere – it's typically chaotic, nowhere to park, you know, people trying to tout passes all over the place. There's as much going on outside the track in the street with all the vendors and and, and street food and beer outlets. And it's great for us because you can't get out afterwards. It's like it's rammed. So the, all the roads are all full. So you walk out the car park and sit and have a few beers. And you'd be amazed at the Grand Prix riders that come along, that just are walking along, walking to wherever they go. Yeah, you sit there. We sat there the other day. I sat there the other year with me and Neil Hodgson sitting there gulping pints down. And uh, Chris Walker came walking past with his wife. And a, and a couple, you know, there's, it's just it has this wonderfully laid back atmosphere. And I really enjoy that kind of thing. I think it's, uh, I think for from a fan's perspective, when you can get the others, you know, we're also bloody intense. The media and, and ex riders and so on. It's you know, on to the next one. You know, we've got a plane to catch tonight at one minute past seven, and we've got to be there in the hire car's got to be. And you're always thinking like get out of here like as rapid as you can but there are some tracks like Mugello which is a nightmare because it's got single track lane leading to it so trying to get all them thousands of people down it at the end of the day is just ridiculous and it's quite funny um if you if you're in a hurry get helicopter because you ain't going anywhere and Mizano is pretty similar to that you can turn right out the track and try that way around if you like you can turn left then you you get to about five miles away from the the toll booths on the motorway oh awful 
they are taking the the couple of euros off each and every car. And by the time it's back 20 miles back up to the track, because they don't know what they should do. And they've done it before. They just open the toll booths and you can all whiz through onto the motorway. But of course, they don't let that happen. So you end up with, and what they do is they, they have this like the equivalent of what you get in an airport when you go to the passport, you know, that, that zigzag where there's hundreds of people all zigzagging. It, you're really only 20 feet away from the booth, but you're like 100 miles yeah. away from it really by the zigzag. Well, they do the same thing in Mizano. They zigzag you back uh, through an industrial estate before you can get out onto the motorway. So there's the industrial estate. Uh, there's the, the booths and stuff, and they suddenly you have to turn right. The police make you turn, and you zigzag through industrial estates or other roads, all these other roads, before you come back out to exactly where you were to get to – it's just a nightmare. <laughs> don't do it, folks. Go for a beer. <laughs> Uh, but don't drink and drive, by the way. Wise, wise words. And actually, Pete, just looking at the results as well from from last year uh, at San, you know, San Marino, um, Morbidelli was was on top and he won the race. And there's, I thought that might actually be a good segue just to briefly touch on Morbidelli because Rossi spoke a lot about him um, this weekend as well. We're still waiting for him to return. It is scheduled, but... This injury it seems to be a bit bigger than than perhaps it was initially made out to be, and it, you know it's still a little bit in doubt. But we, you know, and and when he comes back, it's certainly not going to be business as usual, is it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I actually asked Rossi on Thursday. You know, what about Morbidelli? Because as you say, we haven't really heard anything. He, he had this operation back in June. It's a long time. We know he's coming, aiming for Mizano. That was always the target. And yeah, as you say, Rossi sort of surprised quite a lot of us by. You know, when he told us about just how serious the operation was, was the word he used, deep surgery, that he'd seen, you know, Frankie suffering every day was what he said with the rehabilitation. So, yeah, he's certainly been having a, a tough time, but he did say it has improved recently and he said he, he will be trying to ride. And of course, trying to ride, it will be for Monster Yamaha. That's the, the team you'll be at. He'll be moving across. Dovi will be coming back and into the Petronas seat that Jake Dixon has, has been sort of temporarily filling. So it's all changed for Mizano. Um, it's, I mean, Yamaha, look, they've just lost the constructors title lead this weekend to Ducati. So they really do need a strong second rider to, to back up Quattararo, if you like, on days when, you know, Things happen, shall we say, as it seems to have been the case on Sunday. So they, they need a strong rider to come in. Frankie's coming in, but we, we really don't know what, what, state his knee is in he obviously feels he can ride but i mean he's not going to be 100 percent, that's for sure and um you know it's a as he said it's a tight track it's it's constantly left right left right you know you're working hard all the time on the bike so i think frankie's going to have a, a tough a tough time and you know new team as well in the sense that all of his old crew will be remaining with Petronas. So, so, you know, it wouldn't make sense to move everyone now. And as Cal Crutcher was explaining, because Cal's lost his, his test crew chief, Silvano Galbacera. He's, he's there working in the race team and he, he will be working with, with Frankie for the rest of this year. So Cal hasn't got a testing crew chief now. He said when he, when he tries the, uh, the 2022 bike at Aragon in two weeks time, it'll be with some of the Japanese guys in the test team will be basically being the crew chief for him. But he did also say that maybe that'll change next year, which perhaps suggests that, that Galbacera might go back to the test team next year and maybe Forcada, Morbidelli's highly, highly experienced crew chief at Petronas will be moving across. We don't know yet, but all we do know is that Frankie will be coming back this weekend, certainly trying to. Let's see let's see if he does the whole weekend even. We, we, we really don't know. Um, and Davizioso will be there at Petronas. It'll be very interesting to see how Dovi does, of course, you know. 
I don't understand why Yamaha do what they do sometimes. I mean, you, you, you've just covered all the ground, Pete, so you've left me a few gaps to nicely fill in. You know, why put Morbidelli on the factory bike? Why not leave him where he is with his team, with his crew chief and everybody to just gently bring him back in on a bike he knows with a team he knows and put Dovi in the factory factory berth? You know, put Dovi under pressure. He's fit. He's ready to go. You know, okay, we'll see how fast he is. He might not be fast, but it doesn't really matter. He'll do a good job, Dovizioso, without destroying machinery. And I, I kind of don't understand why MR do what they do sometimes. I mean, it would seem to me to be the gentle option. You know, Franco is struggling. Just give him his bike and his crew and, and where he is. I'm sure he won't be pushing to be in the factory team at the moment, even though he doesn't want to let that that segment go. Of course he doesn't. But, of course, that's us guessing at how fit he will be for Mizano. If he is bang on fit and if he is, his physios come good and all the rest of it, then fair enough. But it just seems to me to be... You know, put him under unnecessary pressure when you could put him in his old team with his old people that he, he knows really well. He knows his bike really, really well. He's not going to learn anything. He can just get straight back on it and, and ease himself back into it. Put Dovi on the factory bike. See how he goes. Is that too simplistic? Well, too good to be true, perhaps. Um, <laughs> what's too good to be true as well is uh, our predictions sometimes. Um, and and uh, I've just done a bit of... You have to. <laughs> yes. But you're like, I'm still losing here, which is probably the the, the fair the fair outcome here. Because uh, after last time, you, you both get a point for having Mark Marquez uh, on your podium places. Only Keith got him in second, though. Uh, Pete, you put him third. Uh, and I didn't get anybody. Uh, they all let me down. So uh, that puts uh, you, once again, you're still equal, though. You now have four points to my two. Um, but we go again for Misano, please, gentlemen. Um, Pete... Let's start with you this time, shall we? Your top three, please. Well, I think, first of all, I should say that it sounds like it might rain. Um, so that would just throw another... Yeah, Keith's nodding, yeah. so I think he's seen the weather for, for next Sunday as well. So, yeah, that's going to make it even more unpredictable. But I think I think, I think Banyaya, I think I'll put him first, going off his form last year and his form today, if you like. So that's an easy one. I, I, th- I think Quattararo, I'll go with him second because I think he's been he's been close at, at Mizano in the past. I know, I know last year wasn't particularly good for him, but he in his rookie year, he, he was up there fighting with Mark Marquez and everyone else. Uh, third, ooh, um, I will go with Jack Miller. Okay. I think that Ducati uh, G- track, I think Jack is overdue a good result. And uh, yeah, I'll go with Jack. So... Bagnaia, who was second, sorry? Uh, Quattararo. Quattararo, yeah. And then Miller. Miller. Third. Okay, Keith, you're up. Uh, I'm struggling a bit whether it's going to be Mia (laughs) or Quattararo. Mia in in Misano has been good in the past, and he looked all right this weekend. Um, So I'm going to go Quattararo for the win. Mia Bagnaya. Okay. There you go. All right. And I'm going to go for quarter hour win as well. And I'm going to put Miller in second. I put him on the podium last time around and he disappointed me, but hopefully he'll come honest again. And Have a word with him. (laughs) And uh, and I'm going to go for Mia on the podium uh, in third. So uh, that's what I've gone for. So me, quarter hour, Miller, Mia. Pete, Bagnaya, quarter hour, Miller. And Keith, quarter hour, Mia. And Vagnaya. Well, 
as ever, it's never long to wait, it seems, for uh, our results to come true or not, because it all gets going once again in Misano from the 17th of September. We'll return straight after uh, for all the latest reaction and all the uh, trending topics you can keep up to date throughout the week and the weekend when we're not on it on air. It's all at crash.net. Any questions, send them in all the usual ways, comment section or tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search for Crash Moto GP and leave us a review as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've had some nice reviews recently on Apple Podcasts, so keep them coming our way. Uh, always lovely to have your feedback as well. Uh, and in the meantime, my thanks to Keith Ewan and Pete McLaren. As ever, I've been Harry Benjamin, and we shall see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.